Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Filter, and you're listening to my good friend John on Talking Metal. Rock, rock over London, Zurich, Auckland, Dublin, Dallas, Milwaukee, Los Angeles, Sydney, Indianapolis, Tokyo, Seattle, Paris, Budapest, Berlin, New York. Ladies and gentlemen, two men who are committed to rocking you wherever you might be, John Astronomy and Mark Striegel. Welcome to the Talking Metal Podcast, broadcasting around the world from TalkingMetal.com and StriegelsMusicNews.com. Hey, it's John Astronomy. Welcome to another edition of Talking Metal. It is Monday, September 20th, 2010, 5.37 a.m. Eastern Time in the USA. This is the, I swear to God, the fifth time I've done a host segment for this particular episode. Long story why I have to keep redoing them, but uh, anyway, I want to tell you, We have an amazing show for you. We have part one of my very special interview with Richard Patrick from Filter. Richard is totally a cool dude. We hung out for a long time down in the uh, East Village area of Manhattan, Lower East Side maybe, Lower East Side, and just a great interview, great all-around guy, great musician, and that is coming right up. We're going to feature part two of the interview later in the week. Filter has a brand new record out called The Trouble with Angels, and you're going to hear all about that in the interview. I want to send a congratulatory note out to the entire Striegel family on the birth of their brand new baby boy, and Mark is taking some well-deserved time off for this month, and uh, we will be both back strong in October, which is really only about 10 days away. So we had an amazing five-year anniversary Talking Metal Live episode like a few weeks back, and if you were lucky enough to hear it, you know, listen live, you would have heard a great interview with Frankie Benali from Quiet Riot. You would have heard a great interview with Todd Youth, currently with Jesse Mallon and Ace Fraley. He's played with a ton of great bands. And unfortunately, the studio had a hard drive meltdown and lost the entire show. So we've been... uh, been working on trying to recover the files. Jay Bones, uh, the great Jay Bones, uh, who does the video for a lot of the new Talking Metal stuff, unfortunately was unable to recover that, and that was after the people at the studio tried to recover it, and uh, it was really no one's fault, but it was kind of a drag because we had a ton of stuff that we were planning to play for you guys during the month of September. So what we're going to have to do is try to re-interview these guys and have a second five-year anniversary celebration, which maybe we'll do in early October. So anyway, guys, that is that. Since I am sitting in front of the computer and it is 5.40 a.m., I will read you the latest blabbermouth headlines. Fozzie, Australian tour announced. These guys are going to be going to Australia. Let's see when. December 2, December 3, and December 5th. They're going to be in Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane, Australia. And the tickets go on sale this Friday, September 24th. So if you are a Fozzie fan, 
which is the group that features WWE wrestler superstar Chris Jericho and Stuck Mojo mastermind Rich the Duke Ward. Definitely get your tickets. And uh, I'm just going to blow through some of the headlines. Metallica's Hetfield, he says, any band out there would rather fly in a chartered jet than sit on the bus. So some people might have been uh, coming down on the band because they fly around in jets instead of go around in tour buses. He's probably right, but I'll tell you the truth, like flying a lot is a little uh, nerve-wracking for me, so I might be one of the crazy people that wouldn't mind, you know, hanging out in a tour bus, but I guess I would have to get used to a lot of flying, and I guess in some cases it's cooler to fly. I know KISS does that, and it makes it easier because you can base yourself in a certain city, and then you can kind of fly in and out of shows. That's kind of a cool thing. Some more headlines. Megadeth Endgame Guitar Tab Book Available. So if you're a Megadeth fan, go buy that Guitar Tab Book. If you're a guitarist and you like to read tablature. Uh, let's see what else. There is a video of ex-Deep Purple keyboardist John Lord playing the song Child in Time on Piano. You can go check that out. I love these headlines. Michael Anthony's bass guitars are featured in Axes to Axles exhibit. So if you're a fan of original Van Halen bassist Michael Anthony, go check that out. Let's see what else. Sleaze Bees. Remember those guys? The United Sleaze Bees announces an Amsterdam headlining show. Check that out. Megadeths. Ellefson and Drover interviewed by MTV Grease. There's video available. Ted Nugent's interviewed on the Laser 103.3 audio available. And here's something really cool. Philip Anselmo, he says, If Dimebag was alive, we would have buried the hatchet a long time ago. And I bet that is true, guys. I'm really sick, as everyone in the metal community is, about all this stuff. And I just wish that uh, none of this ever happened. And, you know, what's sad is that because it happened and because there was some bad blood between certain people, you really never know. But I would like to think that they would have buried the hatchet. It's just such a tragedy all around. So anyway, let's uh, end the news on that note and get right back into the podcast. And I want to start out by playing a sound sample from a track from Filters to Trouble with Angels. This one is called The Inevitable Relapse. It's great. It really has a, a similar vibe of the stuff that you would hear on like old filter stuff like Short Bus. And that's really what they were going for when they were recording this record. And you'll hear that in the interview. We just uh, had a blast. I can't believe it was close to an hour interview. And so we're going to do you know, the first half of it today. And then we're going to come back to you later in the week with the rest of the interview. So let's get into a little sound sample of the inevitable relapse by Filter. Part one of my interview with Richard Patrick. And then we'll close it out with a tune, and then we'll be right back in a few days. So stay tuned to TalkingMetal.com and iTunes for part two of a very special podcast with Richard Patrick from Filter. When I wake up, I can't stay up. There's no time for hope. Mr.
Hey, it's John. Welcome to another edition of Talking Metal. I am here with my very special guest, Richard Patrick from Filter. Richard, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Hey, well, thanks for taking the time out. Now, you have a brand new record, The Trouble with Angels, and Bob Merlette talked to you and said, we want to capture the attitude that you had right before Filter got signed. And tell me how that felt and if that's true. That is absolutely true. And he kind of sat me down and he said, here's the problem with not doing your own band. Here's the problem with your last record. Here's the problem. And he literally kind of read me the riot act almost. But, you know, he's so sweet, you don't realize it's happening. But he um, he sat me down and he's like, I need crazy. I need I need you unhinged. I need you... And so when we were doing, like, Drug Boy, the lyrics for Drug Boy, he goes, what were you like when you were back in your 20s? What were you like when you were getting, when I said I was in Nine Inch Nails and I just didn't have any kind of future or anything in, in, in like, that band. It's Trent. It's his baby. You know, it's always going to be his thing. And I just remember, like, man, I have I had some guitar riffs of my own and I had some ideas. And, um, you know, I was hanging out with this really, really uh, disenfranchised punk, you know, group, like real punk, like um, not Green Day punk so much as Sex Pistols punk and, and like, you know, uh, um, that kind of scene. And they were just dirt poor and we would take hallucinogens and we were just we'd buy a six pack and climb a bridge and like sit underneath this drawbridge you know most drawbridges uh, open up in the middle and the, we we rode drawbridges that went straight up like the entire road just lifts up and it's the bridge and they lie so we would get on i-beams and just do that or like go into some abandoned uh, jail that had been you know like boarded up for you know the last 30 or 40 years and go into the basement like on hallucinogens and read you know filing cabinets and open up and read people's like files yeah. of like crazy crazy stuff and it was just kind of we were so we were so avant like guard in our lives that um i just remember thinking like you know we the Arbud dwyer video like i brought that back from the you know from Lollapalooza from the amok bookshop and we watched it, and, and, like, you know, a couple of us, like, well, damn, dude. Hey, man, nice shot. And it was just, it was, and you know, and I just applied, like, that kind of attitude. And as you get older and you get a little bit more, uh, you know, you just, I'm you know, I don't do drugs anymore. I don't, you know, I don't really live a, too crazy of a life. I, you know, I have a house and, you know, cars and, you know, responsibility and kids and everything. And that tends to foc- refocus your your lyrics or refocus your your creativity well bob made sure like he's like i want you to talk about how those drugs made you feel what what and there's this kind of religious um you know title trouble with angels and like the best line on the record uh, to this to the to to like for me is just you know tonight these chemicals are god tonight these chemicals are sunlight golden sunlight and it was it was just so true so you know, I made sure because Bob actually—it was funny. Bob started zeroing in on no reentry and down with me and catch a falling knife. And I was like, "Dude, we gotta like bring the short bus." And he went on—he went on vacation during Christmas break, and I sat there with an acoustic guitar like I used to in the old days, and just made sure that I wrote some quintessential like short bus 
material. Um, and then when I sang everything, I made sure that I didn't warm up and I didn't baby my voice. And I, I lost it like a day before, and then it kind of started coming back. And I just started screaming at the top of my lungs, you know, like drug boy and, and relapse. And, uh, and just made sure it was like crappy. Because when I was young, I used to smoke and drink and just my voice was just permanently gravelly. And so I kind of went against, you know, the healthy routine of my later years, my, 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 you know, my adult life. And I just think we recaptured what my fans have, have shown up and they've told me at concerts, like, we really miss, like, title. We really miss Amalgam Up. We really miss Short Bus. Let's have some of that. And I'm like, you know what? Perfect idea. So when Bob, when we wrote all these songs, we, we, we still had to, you know, we still had to kind of hinge ourselves in 2010. So Bob, you know, told me, he's like, you know, you, you need more movement in your lyrics. For instance, No Love. There's this... And each one of those, you know, syllables, there's, there's words. Syllables, more syllables. Right. I know that was one of the things he said. Kids today want more information rather right. than less. Even though Hey Man, Nice Shot, Four Words was an amazing hook... He said, nowadays, you got to have something a little bit longer. Right. And then, not only that, but he want, he's like, let's add harmonies to everything. Let's, and, and he really kind of pulled me in to you know, this current millennia. And then we even went as far as auto-tune on the first uh, single, Inevitable Relapse, which really sparked a nerve in my fans. Because <laughs> it's funny, now that the record's out and they hear it and they realize it's literally 16 bars of hundreds of bars of music it's not like T-Pain or or right. Cher or something they, like that they they were like look you know y you went away you you did army of any you did damning well you did army of anyone you do this tribute record to the soldiers of misfortune and now you're giving us auto-tune, so it kind of freaked everybody out. But now that the record's out, they're kind of like, oh, I get it. Right. Just a little tiny little effect on it. So I, I, I'm the ultimate prankster. I think I'm pissed off my audience more than, more than they want to be pissed off at this point. If people just think back in the day, what was a talk box? It was like the 70s version of auto-tune. So, yeah, vocoder, right. But, you know, the ultimate prank, if I'm, if I'm going to be as puritanical as, like, heavy metal requires, and by the way, I, I love heavy metal. I listen to, to uh, Mudvayne and Hell Yeah and, and Pantera, a lot of, a lot of what Vinny does. Um, you know, for a genre that is, you know, is, is, not, is so nonconformist and so completely, I mean, it really does have some borders. Like, for instance, you know, like in Germany, like, we're signed to nuclear blast and like they're late you know they're like we're breaking new ground we're doing some new stuff and you got to kind of like understand like we've always been fibbing and fucking around and, and and messing around with stuff our first record was a drum machine like hey man i shot every single song on that record was programmed drums that's like how bold and like like we were like we don't know any drummers. We don't care. We like rock music. This is what we're doing. We're having fun. Go with it. So after I did that, I figured no holds barred. So it's kind of interesting that like everyone has had such a massive puritanical 
like, you know, you can't go there. Maintain your borders. That's only for hip-hop. That's only for R&B. And already the new kids, there's a bunch of attack, attack. There's a whole bunch of new bands that are like, that's their shtick is the auto-tune. So I actually think it's kind of interesting to be kind of, me and Bob just thought it was cool. I mean, you know, Bob and I just kind of laughed and thought it was, hey, it's funny, put that on. <laughs> you know, and it, it it's interesting that it became such an amazing you know, like controversial move. Right. Well, hey, it's good. Uh, people are all talking about the inevitable relapse, which is a great tune. I, I want to talk a little bit about some of the different songs. And what I'm interested in is the recording process. Now, you mentioned that you wrote a lot of stuff on acoustic before. Did you have all of the song ideas before you got into the studio, or did this happen while you were there? I've always actually had. I felt I needed a full studio and an engineer at my beckoning call for like everything that I've ever done, like all the way. Like after, after Short Bus, I was like, well, if you have equipment and you're t- you, you're two dudes, you can make a, 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 an interesting rock record. So I've always had this like albatross of electronics that are always around, and I always have I always have to work with engineers because I like working with people and I like doing stuff like that. But I've actually now started to go the other way which is just play it on acoustic learn a chord progression that you like and you know sing a melody over the top of it and then then go into a studio and go this is what i got let's let's do it you know work on it like a project where it starts off with a click track and like a guitar performance and then you add programming and then you know then you go to a studio put a real studio record drums come back re-record all the guitars then sing it for real so it's it's kind of a it's kind of a, a time consuming process, but the fact that I released a record, you know, a mere eighteen or you know two years ago, to, and and put a record out this quickly, that's that I you know I gotta say this uh, that that has this amount of quality, I think is like, I think we finally got it down. So, you know, a lot of people in your position wouldn't. It's sad to say, like to have other collaborators, and I I think it's really cool that you could go in if you wanted to and say, look, I'm going to make a filter record, and it's going to be exactly the way I want it, but you're bouncing stuff off of of Bob, and then Mitch Marlowe, I know, wrote some stuff in in Drug Boy and some of the other tunes. I still consider Mitch Marlowe a member of the band. It's just that Mitch is starting a family, and he's also got a bunch of like stuff going on in his studio and stuff, and we were like, you know what? One day, maybe we'll all go on tour, and and you can be. Uh, I think I think Filter has always been a two guitar band. It's just that, you know, Rob Patterson's new, and we wrote stuff together too. Shot from the Sun on the deluxe CD is 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 kind of co written by Rob and Phil. The one thing I'm gonna have to say about this band is. As much as I've tried to promote it as like a band, I, I think I kind of like went overboard on title of record and stuff like that. It's always been I'm the only original member, and I've never, one consistent member. I've always tried to distance myself from Nine Inch Nails or uh, you know or like Neil Diamond or Prince or I've never wanted to be the guy in charge. I hate the responsibility. I hate I like the the camaraderie of a band. I like I like bouncing ideas off. The one thing that I've realized is that if it is going to be a scenario where a lot of different people can come in and they're interchangeable, um, let's work on keeping them around. 
You know, Brian Lee Skang did programming on Fades right. Like a Photograph. You know, I haven't we, we haven't worked in fifteen you know fifteen years. Um, at the same time, Ray DeLeo did a lot of stuff on this record. A new guy, Bruce Summers from the Kidney Thieves, is on this is on this record. Um, Bob did some programming. Mitch Marlowe wrote a bunch of the songs with Bob. I wrote some songs with Mitch and Bob. I wrote songs with Bob. Um, actually, Bob's all over the record. <laughs> um, but uh, the reality is, you know, the, there are two truths. There are two truths. I'm the main guy. It's always been my baby. It's always I'm. Whenever there's a record contract, I'm the only one who puts his name on the dotted line. It's always been me. Having said that, um, I collaborate with a bunch of people, and you know, I always try and I always try and find the good in working with other people. So there's a large amount of people that I work with. So there's almost like like 10, 15 bandmates. I mean, Josh Freeze. I mean, there's so many other people that like I work with. And because it's, I try and keep it the singularity more. I'm, I'm trying to keep it a little bit more control on where it goes. I think that it's, that's why this record sounds like, Oh, great. Filters back. It's doing its normal thing. And, and that's kind of, as long as I kind of make sure that like, I keep my state, stick to my guns and, and really kind of, um, go with my instincts. I think that that's the the overwhelming filter vibe. You mentioned that you try to get your head in the same place it was when you weren't sober, and you've been. You show me your tattoo. You've been sober now for how many years now? Seven years, going on eight in wow. September. Congratulations! A lot of uh, musicians that I've been hanging around with have been sober, and things have changed from when it was cool to go out and. Mm-hmm you know get a little crazy and well the drugs are still there they're out there i mean there's a lot of young bands that keep it alive you know keep the drug ritual alive um but in all honesty in our you know when it gets to become an addiction there's three places you're going to end up you're going to end up dead you're going to end up in an institution like a like a rehab or uh you know a jail or you're going to end up sober you know and you know, it's funny, Trent. Me, we used to drink, we used to drink like fish when we were when we were young. I mean, we wouldn't go on stage unless we were a little buzzed. You know, um, you know, he got sober, I got sober. We were on our way to the graveyard. I mean, I literally, it was, it was like another couple of weeks of the way I was drinking. It was like I was either going to kill myself or I was going to, you know, I something was going to explode in my brain. I, I this, I just could not keep it up. The hangovers were just. ridiculous. Ridiculous shaking, uncontrollable shaking. Um, uh, it was it was about as bad as it can get. And you know, I mean, look at look at the history. Look at you know Kurt Cobain. I mean, you know that was drug related. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if people want to know that, but sure, he was a big dope fiend, and you know he 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 couldn't handle the pressure of all of a sudden he went from kind of nerdy guy in a in a Seattle band to this massive star. He's only twenty five. He's hooked on some serious drugs and he just like couldn't take it anymore. You know, and un- unfortunately that's where we go. That's where drug addicts and alcoholics go. So it's been an amazing survival story. I mean I uh, you know, I gotta say that I literally I get. I got an email the other day. I got an email the other day uh, that said, "I've been waiting to 
to kick painkillers, and I knew that I was going to need strength, and 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 I needed a new soundtrack. So I waited until the release date of the Filter record because Richard Patrick did it. He's my inspiration. I want to hear his music to keep me inspired, which totally blows me away. That is, I've never been more humbled in my life getting that kind of mail. Um, the other, the other, and that's that's why I'm publicly recovering alcoholic. That's why I've decided to be public because of that reason right there. The other thing that I've noticed is that like when I get I get suicide letters sometimes and I give them my number and I say call me. And then I, you know, and you know, I I, I hope I don't get a bunch of pranks now. But um I you know, I I call them and I and I just talk and we talk. I this one girl I talked to her for all the way through Christmas break and she she couldn't take her drinking and she finally and you know these, some of these people are really young and she finally I got her to call my one of my expert people that I have lined up actually his name is Dr. Howard um he's the owner of uh Promises or or not Promises um Wonderland in LA and he uh, is, he's actually the guy that got me sober and he is it is it okay yeah he um he got me sober, and so I turned her over to him, and boom, she's been sober for, like, three years now. And it's it's insane because she was literally like, I'm going to jump. And that's unfortunately what – that's a common thing. There's another there's another kid that, like – I've, I've got a handful of these stories, but there's another kid that – just to give you an idea on some of the, the people I talked to, there's a kid that uh, had three DUIs before his 17th birthday, and he said – I know you got sober. How did you do it? What did you do? And I said, I went to this place. I went to meetings. I, I, I did what they told me, and I accepted the fact that I'm an alcoholic. And I gave him my number, and I said, you can call me anytime you want. And he would text. He's this big, like, texter. And it turns out that this kid has 190 IQ, wow. and he scholastically is so gifted that the state that he lives in funded his entire scholastic you know full scholastic scholarship of the choice of of the school of his choice and he is now getting like the highest of the highest grades that you can get and he's like in his class he's like in the top five and it's it's and literally see that's the that's the amazing thing about mental illness or or alcohol or drug dependency it's awesome people most of the time some of the time it's it's like inf- incredible people that have born with the predisposition of i like beer beyond you beyond you i like beer i'm going to sit by myself this kid used to sit by himself and drink a vat of a vodka before he was even 15 16 he snuck it in and somehow did this and he's big so he hit it somehow and 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 but um you know that's that's why i'm so publicly you know recovering alcoholic well congratulations not only for your recovery but for the assistance that you gave to a lot of people i mean you saved people's lives and you well, know not everybody would do that the the program and I think being honest with it and accepting it, uh, that you know, because there's so many years where you don't accept it. You're like, I'm not. I literally would thumb my nose at sobriety. I would thumb it and just be like, what a bunch of quitters. 
and pussies. You know, like I, I literally was a bad, I was such a bad <laughs> drunk, so bad. But it was the program that gave me so much knowledge on how to, and it's the support group of that program. And I guess the public kind of fight that has helped me lead people to their recovery because at the end of the day it's literally we have to save our own lives there's no one that's going to do it for us you also in saying that i think answered the original question that i had you can reflect back on that but it's not going to bring you back to wanting to do something like that you know when i walked in i was done i mean i i walked in and i took a, a look around and i said i just kind of told myself i was like this is it take a good look around because this is the last fucking time you're going to do this and i now go to rehabs as like a, a speaker or I, I go to help people that i know that are you know that's that's the thing your some of your friends end up in there and you got to go and and so um but i i was done i i had i had done the research i have i discovered beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I drink a sip of booze, I am one sip away from my disease. And I I approach it like it's taking arsenic or anything like that. I If I taste it in a dessert or something, I'll be like, fuck that. I can't because desserts can set us off because the alcohol is not cooked. Right. So I'm like literally like I'm I, I was like so anal. And, you know, now I've just grown into that. And there's a lot of shame in the beginning. Like you're like, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I can't have any of that, you know. And you're, you know, you're, you're. But but now it's like, oh, I don't drink, you know. And it's like it's accepted because you you don't realize how like people. There's, it's so bizarre when you're when you're first just in sobriety, you can't believe that other people don't drink out of like ah, I just don't like the way it makes me feel. Like you can't like everybody drinks. Everybody drinks like this. Everybody goes to fraternities or whatever and, and the college bar and gets wasted. Like, not really. There's a, there's a huge amount of people that are just like, yeah, wine makes me dizzy. I don't like it. It makes me feel, you know, so it's, it's bizarre.